you for this opportunity to speak your word. I pray that your spirit will soften all of our hearts, that we might receive afresh the love of Christ and follow his way. In his name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. In our prayer for Palm Sunday, in our liturgy today, we read that Jesus gives us an example to follow. Jesus gives us an example to follow. And it seems that as human beings, we are wired to imitate other people. Children will follow the example of their parents. It's natural. Often a boy will imitate his father. If his dad mows the lawn, the boy wants a toy lawn mower. My son Sam wanted a leaf blower just like mine, so we got him a toy leaf blower. It looked just like mine, in miniature version. A girl will take care of a baby doll in imitation of mom caring for the baby. Even as adults, we look for good examples to follow, to admire. A rookie on a baseball team looks up to the all-star. An apprentice seeks a mentor, must have a mentor. As Christians, we must never forget that Jesus Christ is our example in how to live, in how to do life. He's the greatest example to follow because He's God in the flesh. There's no greater example to follow than God incarnate. Jesus Christ. So, in Paul's letter to the Philippians, this is what he's doing in the epistle reading that we read. He's calling us to follow the example of Christ's humility, specifically. The humility of Jesus. And as we begin Holy Week, what we're seeing is Christ descending deeper and deeper into humility. And this is a descent that takes him all the way to the cross. In calling us to imitate Jesus' humility, Paul reminds us of who Jesus is. He reminds us that Jesus is and was and is the very Son of God, that He's fully divine. Because when we understand something of the person of Jesus, then we can understand more the, the greatness of His humility. There's a link, of course, between the depth of His humility and who He is. And so Paul writes in verse 6 of our epistle that Jesus was in the form of God. He was in the form of God. And form, the word here means an outward appearance of an inward reality. It doesn't mean like a costume pretending to be or in the form of something that you're not. It means the outward appearance of, of something that's real. He was in the the form of God, some translations say the nature of God, and that captures it rightly. His inward nature was and is the, the nature, the very nature of God. But Paul writes that he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or snatched at. What would you do if you had God-like power? might be tempted to use it to your own advantage. I could beat the stock market if I had God-like power. I could be wealthy beyond my imagination. Or I could become the world's greatest writer or musician if I had God-like power. 
I could have more followers than Christian Ronaldo, a great soccer player, or Beyonce, if I had godlike power. I could use it to expand and exalt myself. Jesus was God in the flesh. But Paul tells us that even though he was fully divine, he didn't pursue that way of self-exaltation. He pursued the way of humility. Verse 7, here's how he humbled himself. First, he emptied himself. Could be translated, he poured himself out. He emptied himself, not of his divine nature. There was never a time where Jesus was not the Son of God. But I believe it means he emptied himself of his divine privileges. And here's what he did. He goes on, he says, he emptied himself, how? By taking on the form, same word he used where he says, that Jesus was in the form of God. So taking on the nature, becoming truly, really, a servant. Taking on the form of a servant. The Son of God became a servant. As my wife is making her way through nursing school, she's been working in the hospital in a low-level position. This is what you do when you go through nursing school. She's working as a tech. It's a good job in the sense that it brings dignity and care to very sick people. So it's a good job in that sense, but it's not a very glamorous job. It's a difficult job. Imagine the CEO, the president and CEO of her hospital, voluntarily giving up her position as CEO to become a tech, to draw blood, to give baths to the sick. It's almost unthinkable. It would make the news if a CEO, somebody in a powerful position, said, I'm relinquishing all this to serve the sickest people. How much more incredible that God the Son would become a servant. He humbled himself not only in the position he took, but Paul says, in the pain that he willingly suffered. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's, that was, in the ancient world, the most humiliating and painful way to die. The Romans devised it for that very end, to be the most painful and humiliating way that somebody could possibly die. To be nailed to a cross, to be stripped naked. Notice that the garments were divided after Jesus. That was part of the degradation of this, the public humiliation of this. To be nailed to a cross, naked and bloody, mocked and ridiculed, dying a very torturous death. Why did Jesus do that? Why did Jesus willingly do this? Why was he silent before his accusers? We're reminded every Lord's Day as we come to the table. Why? This is my blood shed for you, shed for you, for the forgiveness of your sins. His sacrifice was for you and for me. The pain was the pain of love 
All love involves pain. All love involves sacrifice. If you doubt the love of God for you, look to the sacrifice that was made for you at the cross. He obeyed the will of his Father, it says. He did this in obedience to the will of his Father. For this is how a holy God cleanses and forgives us through the cross. We're cleansed, we're forgiven, so that we can stand in the presence of a holy God. Have you trusted in Jesus' sacrifice this morning for the payment, for the forgiveness of your sins? Are you continuing to trust in the sacrifice that God has provided for you at the cross of His Son to pay for all of your sins? That's what this is about. Are you resting in that today? Now, Paul is writing about Jesus' humility and sacrifice, not just to tell us, though, what to believe, but how we should live. Not just how we are saved, but how you and I, if we are in Christ, are to live out this salvation that God has graciously given to us. How then shall we live? And Paul says, have this mind among yourselves. This is how we are to live together. Have this mind or this attitude, the attitude of Christ, as you live together. And this mind is yours in Christ Jesus. It doesn't come naturally, but if you are connected to Christ through the Spirit, this mindset is at work in you. Because the Spirit of God is in you, and the Spirit of God is the Spirit of love, and love means sacrifice. Have this mind that is in you. He wants the Philippians to yield to the mind of Christ, not to the mind of this world or the attitude of this world. Have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus. Our life together is better when we have the mind of Christ. Our life together is better in the church, in our family, in our workplace, among our friends, when we follow the example of Christ in this way of humble, sacrificial love, life is better. Marriages can be better. Family life. There's a, a guy named Paul Miller who, in one of his books, he's talking about having the mind of Christ in everyday life. And he talks a lot about his family relationships. And he talks about his wife, Jill, and how one season of their life they were under great stress, financial pressure, and all kinds of things, and a lot of it was coming down on Jill, his wife. And at this time, they were living in kind of a rural area of Philadelphia, and they had uh, six pygmy goats and a sheep named Ed. And Jill was especially uh, attached and affectionate towards this sheep named Ed. And there was a snowstorm coming, a major blizzard, was forecast for this area of Philadelphia. And so Jill was concerned, even though they had some shelters for these animals, Ed was not the sharpest sheep in the bunch. And she was concerned that, you know, sheep are not the smartest animal, but this was particularly dumb sheep. And so she was worried that Ed would not figure out that he needs to go into a shelter in a snowstorm. And so she says to Paul, now Paul's been praying, Lord, help me to... Love my wife sacrificially. Help me to have the mind of Christ towards my wife. And so the storm is coming. There's a forecast, kind of like what happened here in St. Louis this week. You know, the 
weather forecast. This is going to be really bad. But um, he called a farmer and he said, we're worried about this sheep and what do you think? And he said, oh, the sheep will be fine. It will go into the shelter. Don't worry about it. Well, the blizzard comes in the, in the night. Ten o'clock at night, Paul's in bed drifting to sleep and he hears his wife, Jill. Paul, will you go out and check on Ed? <laughs> and Paul says, I wanted to tell her, the farmer said, Ed's going to be okay. But then I knew that wouldn't satisfy her, and then she would get up and go check on Ed. And then I'd be even more irritated with my wife if she did that. So he said, oh yeah, I remember, I've been praying about this. Lord, help me to die for my wife. Help me to sacrifice for my wife. And he said, as he began to think about what he's been praying, this isn't really complicated. I can substitute my warmth and comfort for her worry. She won't have to worry if I go out into the snowstorm. And that's what he did. He trudged through the snow. Ed was not dead. And everything was fine. And his wife wasn't worried. And he said this was just a small act of dying for the good of another. And that is the pattern of our life in Christ. A mini death for the sake of life. That is the pattern of our life as we follow Christ. This is the life Jesus calls us into. I thought of the ways that you, in this community, have sacrificed in love for other people. You've shown care to the sick. You've called, you've texted, you've visited the sick. You have prayed for the discouraged and counseled those who are in trouble. You have opened, some of you have opened your home to those who needed temporary shelter. You have taught and prepared lessons for children and adults, sharing the wisdom of God's Word. You've given food and clothing and furniture to people in need. You have opened your home to be a place of hospitality. These are small things. Yes, these are small things. But they're big in the kingdom of God. They bring the light of Christ into our dark world. They are ways of dying to your comfort and your convenience. And in doing so, you're showing the mind of Christ. And you're bringing life. Don't the people around us need to see that true life is not found in power over others, but in sacrifice and love for others. And love and sacrifice have to go together. So much of the violence and the darkness and destruction in our world is over power. I must be in power. I must have my rights granted, my way granted, my feelings must be pursued and affirmed at all cost or else. Or else I'm going to be diminished. Or else I'll lash out. We see the darkness of this today in our world. It's an attitude that destroys. It destroys community. And ironically, it destroys the self because we are made in the image of God and we are meant to give sacrificial love as God did. And so when we don't live in harmony with that, our self becomes diminished. People today are saying, no, this is the way you need to live. And it's leading to a diminishment, the very opposite of life, a diminishment of the self. 
One writer said that self-sacrifice means forgetfulness of self and others. It means entering the hopes and fears and longing and despair of others. But it also means, it doesn't mean diminishment, it means a development. It means a richness of development. It means not that we should live one life, but a thousand lives as we bind our souls by cords of loving sympathy so that the lives of others become our life. You see, it's an expansiveness here. There's a richness here of this life that Jesus calls us to. This life that Jesus invites us to. There are voices in our culture that, that say you've got to protect yourself. Don't get too involved. It gets too messy. There are other voices in our culture that say, no, you've got to go out and fight. Fight for yourself and demand your rights. Will we, will I trust the way of Christ is the way that leads to life and not destruction. Paul says at the end of this passage that death and humility was not the end of the story for Christ. And it's not for us either. God exalted Christ. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. The exaltation of Christ, of course, was unique. He is the Son of God, His name is the name above every name. At His name, not ours, of course, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He is Lord. His exaltation is unique. And we are praising Him today because of who He is and what He's done. But the Scripture says that if we share in the sufferings of Christ, we also will share in the resurrection of Christ, the new life of Christ. As we follow his humble example, his humble sacrificial love, God breathes his new life into our lives, into our relationships, into our marriages, into our families, into our workplaces, into our churches, among our friends. His new life breaks in. And it's a foretaste, friends, of the life to come. Where only love will remain. And death will be no more. So let's continue, friends, to yield to the mind of Christ and follow his way of life. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you help us to do just that. As we contemplate this holy week, as we follow the way of Christ, we're so grateful for what he has done for us to win our salvation. And we pray by the Holy Spirit that you will help us to live out this life of salvation following the way of Christ. We cannot do this in our own strength. We need your grace and we need your spirit to continue to remind us that this is the way of life. We thank you that you have done that in our lives, that you are doing that, and you'll continue to do it as we follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.